Hello friends, and welcome to the Shellac Stack. This is the little program where I play 78 RPM records from my collection. My name is Brian Wright. I'm so glad you could join me today as we listen to some sounds from the mid-1920s on today's program. Yes, for no particular reason, I thought I'd pull out some records from about 1924 to 1927. We'll hear a variety of dance bands, vocalists, salon orchestras, and the like. It's going to be a fun hour, and we're going to start with Ted Lewis and his band, a recording made in New York City on December 18th, 1925. Ted sings the vocal. It's a great song by Walter Donaldson and Gus Kahn. It's called That Certain Party. afraid to admit that I like Ted Lewis. I make no apologies for that. Something about the way the man performed just always puts a smile on my face, and besides, I've heard from a number of people that in real life he was quite a nice guy too, and that helps. The song there was called That Certain Party. Ted and his band recorded that in New York in December of 1925. It was issued on Columbia 531-D. 
A great way to start out this edition of the Shellac Stack. My name is Brian Wright, and I welcome you to this musical variety hour where I'll be spinning 78 RPM records from my collection for you. As I mentioned at the start of the program, today the focus will be on the mid-1920s. I think I said 1924 to 1927, but before the hour is up, I might even slip in a few from 28 and 29 as well. In any case, all the records today come from the so-called Roaring Twenties. <laughs> We're going to continue now with a record by a band leader who was born in Montreal in 1896. He was a talented multi-instrumentalist as a youth. He made his way out to San Francisco and started leading a band on the Barbary Coast. His band started touring and recording by 1923 or 24, first for the Jeanette label and then for Victor Records. His band was going back and forth from coast to coast. They recorded in Oakland, California and Richmond, Indiana. This record was made in Camden, New Jersey for the Victor label in January of 1926. The band leader I'm speaking of is Art Landry and his orchestra. Incidentally, he lived to a ripe old age. He passed away in 1992, and depending on the source, he was either 94 or 96 years old. Anyway, the song here is by Harry Von Tilzer and Dolph Singer. It's called Just Around the Corner, Maybe Sunshine for You. Thank you. 
fair for such a sorry pair since schooling in the park has been forbidden but love will find a way so at the close of day the boy's low call tells her just where he's hidden she's happy as can be he whispers tenderly every evening in the park whistle dear when it's dark like a meadow lark once you're hidden don't be heard not a sound not a word like a meadow lark we'll keep it secret dear just where we cool this little place I found is only for two. Every evening in the park, whistle dear when it's dark, like a meadow lark. Now I think it is so very sweet, the way we meet, the way we greet, like a meadow lark, lark, meadow lark. Will these wonders never cease? How we please the park police. Like a meadowlark, like a meadowlark. A sharp, shrill policeman's whistle shrieks through the air. But we just huddle closer, we don't care. There's no one's business what we do or how we build. How we cool like a meadow lark. Sitting in the shadows near a rustic old fence, over where the trees and the bushes are dense. Like a bird in a meadow lark. With a snug tug, we're gonna huddle so snug, like a little bug in a little old rug. And there you have a man who is billed variously on radio and records as the red-headed music maker, sometimes the pineapple picador, <laughs> I think when he was on the air for Dole. But on this record, he's billed as himself Wendell Hall, Brunswick 3331, from October of 1926. Wendell Hall sang Meadowlark. Before that, we heard from Art Landry and his orchestra, nice hot instrumental, well, sort of hot, not scorching, but... A good record nonetheless from January of 1926, just around the corner may be sunshine for you. Incidentally, Art Landry at one time had in his employ a young pianist named Joe Reichman, who would become quite a sensation in the mid to late 1930s. I don't think Joe Reichman ever recorded with Art Landry. I certainly don't think he's on that record, but it's kind of interesting to know who some of the sidemen were who went on to their own fame and fortune. Up next, I've got a pair of really thick diamond discs. 
Edison Records for you. Both of these are pretty good dance bands. First, from September of 1924, we'll hear the Georgia Melodians. Edison 51394. The song by Gus Kahn and Ted Fiorito is Charlie, My Boy. After that, it's Cass Hagen and his orchestra. Edison 51959 from February 18th, 1927. The song by Buddy De Silva, Lou Brown, and Ray Henderson is called It All Depends on You, and the vocalist on this record will be Arthur Fields. Both of these play a little bit longer than usual because Edison was recording with a vertical method. The groove modulates up and down, and that meant that he could pack the groove pitch a little tighter than usual, so he could squeeze four or even four and a half minutes out of a standard 10-inch side while most other labels were maxing out at about three minutes and 20 seconds. In any case, both of these run a little over three and a half minutes. The Georgia Melodians almost reaches four minutes, but uh, (laughs) I digress. Let's just listen to the records. Here's the Georgia Melodians. Thank you. 
happy, I can be sad, I can be good, or I can be bad. It all depends on you. I can be lonely out in a crowd, I can be humble, I can be proud. It all depends on you. I can save money or spend it, go right on living or end it. You're to blame, honey, for what I do. I know that I can be beggar, I can be king, I can be almost any old thing. It all depends on you. Clever arrangement and a crisp performance that was Cass Hagen and his orchestra with vocalist Arthur Fields. It All Depends on You was the song that was recorded in New York City on February 18, 1927. And you may have noticed that, yes, in February of 1927, Edison was still recording by the older acoustic process. It would be a few months still before he adopted fully electrical recording, joining finally all the other big league record producers of the mid-1920s. But it would still be a few more years before he adopted the lateral cut records that were ubiquitous at the time, and even then it was a little too late. His business pretty much sank by the end of 1929, at least in terms of records. Before that, we heard from the Georgia Melodians in September of 1924 with Charlie My Boy. Let's turn now to a record by the Happiness Boys. This is Billy Jones and Ernest Hare, a record they made in Camden, New Jersey, on January 26th, 1926, for the Victor label. The song is called What? No Women? It's Victor 19973. <laughs> Hello, 
Hello, Bill. Are you all set for the party? Sure I am. Look at me. And I hope there'll be plenty of women there because women, women, women is what I crave. You're always shouting, women, women, women is what I crave. Listen, I never saw a fella like you. Let me take your hat and coat. Just make yourself at home. Am I in time for this big party? You're right on time, and the table's set, but not for food alone. Gee, that sounds fine. Where is this party? Will I meet Mabel and Grace? Mabel and Grace? Mm. No women at all in this place, and that's fine. What? No women? That's right. What kind of a party is this? A very nice party. I said that this party was strictly a stag. Well, you know, I can't get a kick out of uh, chewing the rag. What? No women? Absolutely. Why, they're my specialty. We'll sing Sweet Adeline, for singing has its charm. Ah, but I prefer Sweet Adeline right in my arms. Absolutely. Well, this is no party for me. Now, this is a good party. Don't complain at all. Something else I want to tell you. You know, when I'm dressed up in my best, you know I'm always blessed. I find the girls at every party. The latest style and the greatest smile you're saying all the while. Bring on the girls. Yes, I'm hailing hearty. But when you find there are none, hmm. Here is what I always hear you holler. What? No women. You bet. What kind of a party is this? <laughs> I told you that you'd get uh, Muriel if you brought your car. Yes, and now I find Muriel is just a cigar. <laughs> what? No women. You heard me. They really it's a crime. What was that girlish laughter just as I passed by? Oh, that was just the fella with a red necktie. What? No women. Well, thanks for the use of the horn. What? No women. What kind of a party is this? Now I like a smoker and poker's just grand. But I must have dreams when I start holding hands. What? No women. I guess I'd better roam. Too bad the Ringling Brothers Circus ain't in town. Yes, you might have had the bearded lady to come down. What? No women. Well, me for the old lady's home.
know, my little Joe, I'd give all the world to know. Where did she go? How I'd love to see her smiling again, like she used to when. She was my beau, I loved her so dearly, wonder if she wonders too. Whether I'm gay or if I am feeling blue What would she say? Gee, but we were happy not long ago I wonder what's become of Joe
Yes, sir. <laughs> that hot little tune is called Military Mike, and it was written by Elmer Schobel, one-time pianist with the New Orleans Rhythm Kings out of Chicago. The band there was the original Memphis Five, and they recorded that in New York City on September 17, 1925 for the Victor label, record number 19805. Before that, from June of 1926, we heard Tom Stacks singing with a Harry Reeser group called the Seven Little Polar Bears. At least that's how they were billed on that cameo record, number 974. The tune was, I Wonder What's Become of Joe. And we started that set with Billy Jones and Ernest Hare, the Happiness Boys, in January of 1926. A Victor record of, what? No women? And I'm just now beginning to think I probably should have saved that record and paired it sometime with the Irving Aronson 1926 record of What No Spinach. <laughs> They're quite different tunes, but it would be fun to compare and contrast. A missed opportunity. Oh, well. Maybe down the line, I'll pull them both out and play them side by side. Well, if we look into the virtual mailbag, I got a note this past week from Bob. Bob didn't indicate where he was writing to me from, but he writes, When introducing tunes, you often give the name of the band as X, but you know that it was really Y who made the recording. Can you explain why changing a group's name on different records was not uncommon in the 1920s and early 30s? It seems strange. Hopefully you could answer this on a podcast, since I hope I'm not the only one who has wondered about this. Well, Bob, that is an excellent question, and a bit of a dangerous one, too. I'm a little worried it could open a can of worms and I'd be here talking for the rest of the hour. I'll try to be brief, though. The short answer is that record companies in the 1920s were trying a variety of tricks to make their catalogs appear fuller and more diverse, and applying artist pseudonyms was one way of increasing their artist roster without actually doing so. They also sometimes used pseudonyms to mask performers who might be under contract to another record label. Those are kind of the simple answers. The truth is far more complex and deeper, and I'm a little hesitant to go too far into this, but I will say a few things. The first is that back in the 1920s, sheet music sales were still the dominant force of moving popular music to the masses. People bought their piano and ukulele scores to play these songs at home. It was the song that was the hit, not the performance, not the record. It's why we have multiple, multiple versions in the mid-1920s of any given song. You know, The Kink of Jew might be released on Victor by Nat Shilkert and the Victor Orchestra, but also on Edison, also on Columbia, also on Brunswick. Uh, a host of different versions were available. It's because people wanted the song. They didn't often care who the performers were, unless it was a big-name band like Paul Whiteman, or maybe even Gene Goldcat. So record labels didn't mind using pseudonyms sometimes because they knew the public didn't care who the performer was. Also, I want to say that back in the early 20th century, for the first two decades of the 20th century, it was Victor and Columbia who controlled the patents on lateral recording, and so they pretty much blocked all other labels out of the business until the early 1920s. At that time, Jeanette challenged that patent, and the floodgates were opened, and a host of new little independent labels cropped up in the early 1920s. Well, they didn't have a whole lot of money, not compared to Victor or Columbia. And Victor and Columbia had also already secured all of the big-name performers. So if you were a small label like Emerson or 
Jeanette or Cameo or the Plaza Music Group, runners of the Regal label and Banner, among others, it would be difficult to attract star performers, so you relied on the New York freelance studio musicians, folks who just went around from studio to studio making records. And that's well and good. They were easy enough to work with, not terribly expensive, but they weren't exactly the kind of names that were going to attract a lot of attention. And they were also showing up on all the labels. So if you wanted to have some degree of exclusivity, let's say your Regal Records, and you want to make it seem like your catalog is impressive and exclusive, using the studio freelancers' real names wouldn't have been terribly exciting, so you give them colorful pseudonyms, and uh, that's part of how it turned out as well. One little side note here, the Pathé label in the early 1920s wanted to start a budget subsidiary, which became Perfect Records, and they quickly discovered that the cheapest way to make this half-price budget label was not to make exclusive new recordings for its use, but rather to duplicate material on the higher-priced label. But savvy buyers looking at the two records side-by-side side in the store, if they were billed to the same artist, might wonder, why should I pay 75 cents for the Pathé record when the Perfect over here is 35 cents and has the exact same recording? Which they did. Well, so the Pathé company just put pseudonyms on the Perfect issues so that buyers might be a little bit put off by that and maybe go with a known name on the Pathé record and pay twice as much for it. There's a whole bunch more reasons, but we're running out of time and I'd like to get some more records in. So let's listen now to some pseudonymous releases on some of these dime store labels. First up, the Hollywood Dance Orchestra. <laughs> Not a real orchestra. It's really Billy James and his orchestra on the Banner label. 1929, Jack Kaufman will sing Shake Off the Blues. And then it's Len Cowan and his Boulevard Theater Orchestra, really just a pseudonym for Sam Lannon, well-known New York session leader. From 1927, we'll hear Gonna Get a Girl on the Romeo label. Les Rice, I believe, is the vocal on this. And then we'll finish up with Scrappy Lambert in 1928 singing with Bob Herring's orchestra, billed on the label here as the Casino Dance Orchestra. Perfect 14999. The song is Too Busy. First up, here's Billy James masquerading as the Hollywood Dance Orchestra. Shake off the blues, you need a new tonic, fill up your shoes. 
with lots of rhythm and rhyme. Take off the blue, just find a hot dancer, slip her the news, she'll give the right answer, she won't refuse, while both your heart beat in time. Just grab somebody who has some pep, and put her through every step, she and you soon will have a big reputation. If trouble comes, then should your face show it? Just keep it, Mom, don't let your feet know it. Try to enthuse, shake off the terrible blue.
for my pet and that is all that I've been getting from you What's more and I'm not lying I've noticed you've been trying hard to shake me and it's making me blue I can understand your action but I'll get my satisfaction Don't you worry just you wait and see dear Wait till you want me, honey, then it won't be so funny when I say that I'm too busy for you. Scrappy Lambert, the vocalist with the Bob Herring Orchestra, masquerading as the Casino Dance Orchestra in 1928, Too Busy. We'll turn from that to a Columbia record from 1925 by Art Gillum. He's the singer, pianist, and the composer on this selection called Mean Blues. It's Columbia 550-D. After that, a little something pleasant from the Victor Salon Trio, a good old song by Carrie Jacobs Bond called A Perfect Day. This comes to us from November of 1925. So, a couple more now. Here's Art Gillum, the Whispering Pianist. Thank you. 
was Victor 19874, the Victor Salon Trio recording in New York City on November 10th, 1925, the tune by Carrie Jacobs Bond, A Perfect Day. Before that, from just a couple weeks earlier, October 20th, 1925, we heard Art Gillum, the Whispering Pianist, a Columbia record of Mean Blues. We have time for one more record on today's program, and it's going to come to us from Fletcher Henderson and his orchestra, Young Louis Armstrong in the band. It's another Elmer Schobel composition. We heard his military mic earlier in the program, but this one's going to be called TNT from October 21st, 1925. record like that makes me want to just keep on going and going and going. Such a good disc. Fletcher Henderson's Orchestra, TNT. But that's all the time we have on this edition of the Shellac Stack. I want to thank you very much for tuning in and listening to these 78 RPM records with me. I hope you'll help spread the word to your family and friends if they might enjoy the program. And I hope we'll see you back here next time for more 78s on the Shellac Stack. Until then, take care. Bye-bye.